Good morning. Welcome to Pennington AG Church. If you're watching this online, I am Pastor Brian. Glad that you're tuning in. For all of us here in service this morning, we are walking through a seven-week series that's kind of getting broken up into smaller pieces. And the essence of what we're talking about as we begin this year is the journey of following Jesus. What does it look like to follow him, modeling his life and his character, and also practicing what the early church practiced in order to spend time with Jesus in his resurrected glory and to hear the voice of his spirit. And so in This week, we are moving into, we started with following Jesus in his story and the study of scripture. You can still grab Bible study guides on our website or in the lobby in the back. Today, we are talking about following Jesus in his presence by hearing him and speaking with him. And then uh, following that, we will talk about following Jesus in our life, in our discipline, in our stewardship of what he's given to us. And as we're doing this, I want to be clear, we are ending each service resourcing you. There are many ways to study Scripture. There are many different prayer habits and practices to practice the presence of God. There are many ways to steward our resources well, but none of these in following Christ are optional activities that all Christians for 2,000 years have studied the life of Jesus in Scripture. All Christians have practiced praying and listening to the voice of God, and all Christians have modeled their lives on the stewardship and model Christ has given us. One of the most important and I think misunderstood aspects of following Jesus is in prayer. We all have some understanding or aspect or encouragement of having a prayer life, but for many of us, it's still a little confusing or amorphous, trying to grasp exactly how to pray or what that looks like for us. I remember being told quite explicitly the significance and the priority of praying in the morning, that you get up early and pray. And oftentimes they would quote John Wesley, who would get up at 4 a.m. every morning and he would pray for an hour before he got on his horse and rode all over England to preach the gospel. And I am a night owl. My sister is a geneticist with a specialty in sleep studies. And I'm grateful that she told me, yes, you are genetically born a early bird or a night owl. That is part of you. So I was like, oh, thank you. Because getting up at 4 a.m. to pray sounds painful to me. And I am grateful that one time someone taught me, yes, John Wesley got up at 4 a.m., but it was before the invention of the light bulb. And so he was in bed by 8 p.m., which means if you're in bed by 11, you can think about it, all right, I'm getting up at 7 and I'm praying. Okay, I can do that. I can pray at 7, 7.30 as I wake up. But Jesus prayed in the morning. Jesus prayed in the evening. Jesus prayed in the afternoon. When prayer is on a bagel, you can have prayer anytime. But Jesus would pray at all sorts of times and places as he responded to God's presence and will in his life. The pattern that we learn from Jesus is a pattern of making space to be in God's presence. Or we can say it another way, that prayer is the act of pausing from our chaotic world and yielding to God's will for our lives. Prayer is simply this, taking a step out of the pace of our life and sitting under God's will and saying, God, what is your will for my life? Where are you leading me, directing me? Who am I? What do you want from me? What has brought me to this place, God? So this morning we're going to look at 
an OG, OT example of someone praying. We're going to look at the life of Elijah. First Kings chapter 19, we're going to see a story of Elijah struggling with and walking through his own prayer life, his ability of pausing and yielding to God's presence at a time where he really needed it. In the chapter before this one we're about to read, 1 Kings chapter 18 is one of the most cinematic or dynamic passages in the Old Testament. Elijah has a showdown with the prophets of Baal, and the king's wife had personally raised up all these prophets. And these are pagan prophets. They go against the law that Moses had given, what God had commanded. And so Elijah sets up this showdown, him versus these prophets, Yahweh, the God that has made them, that we eventually see in Jesus, versus their God or maybe not even a God that they've created. And they have a showdown on a mountain and it's dramatic and there's fire and there's chaos. And then Elijah chops apart these other prophets in a bloody kind of climax to this story. First Kings 19 is the aftermath of how the queen responds to her prophets being destroyed and losing that spiritual battle. And then we see Elijah react. Let's look together. First Kings Chapter 19, we're going to begin in verses 2 through 6. So Jezebel, this is the queen, sent a message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, and he drank, and he laid down again. In this story, we see Elijah kind of fall apart. But before his fear and anxiety in this passage, he is doing great. Elijah is destroying it. He's rocking it at his job. He is amazing. He is facing down corrupt governments in Israel, and he's winning he is preaching the kingdom of God all over Israel, and it's spreading, and people are hearing it. He is discipling the next generation. He has this assistant, Elisha, and he's training him. And the story even says Elisha then goes on to do even more great works than Elijah did. He is murdering heretics. And at that time, that's being good at his job. Not now. Don't take this one as normative. But he is doing great at work. He's doing great in his life. He's being really, really productive. And perhaps there is a mini lesson in this, that oftentimes we are most vulnerable in the moments after our greatest success. We're doing great. We're rocking it. We're doing awesome at our job. We just led that group meeting. We presented. It was incredible. And then afterwards, that coworker that we're not married to wants to go and get some drinks. We just finished a semester of college, and it was awesome. We had our best grades ever. We had this a cathartic moment, and now it's May, and I get to relax, and I go home to an empty home, and I 
have my computer and I have temptation? What does it look like after our successes that oftentimes we're most vulnerable or weak? Elijah in this moment gets a dreaded text message. And maybe most of us have been there. You're doing pretty great. Life is going well. And then your pocket buzzes. And for some reason, you just know this is a bad one. I don't want to read this one. All of a sudden, already anxiety. You know, I'm going to read this text. It's going to ruin my day. Looks a little something like this. This is Jezebel's text to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me. If by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, just as you have killed them, love Jezebel. Ruins his night. Ruins his week. Ruins his month. He gets that text. He is killing it. He's doing great. One text sends him into a spiral. He is falling apart. He forgets that the God he serves just proved that he's powerful. Literally the day before, God just showed how powerful he is. He forgets that he is chosen by God and that God has promised to be with him and work through him and protect him. He forgets that he and God already together have beat these people. He's already beat Jezebel. She's the weakest she's ever been in the kingdom. And he forgets all of this in a moment of anxiety. I believe we can see in this story that Elijah is so busy with what he is doing that he forgets who he is. It's a temptation for all of us. So busy creating and doing that we forget who we are and who God has made us to be. He literally says, God, just kill me. Just won a battle, just showed God's power, and the next day he said, I give up. I'm done. Take my life. And what we see in this passage and what we're going to read in a moment is that God basically tells him, slow down, disconnect, pause, and then listen to what I'm going to say to you. Yield to my will in your life. Another way of saying it, God speaks to Elijah, shut up and listen to what I am going to say to you. Calm down and let me speak over you. Also, I think this passage, as an aside, speaks to the power of a good meal and a nap. And sometimes our battles aren't so much spiritual as it is we just need to eat something and we need to go sleep. I think that is true, and I think God affirms that here. Sometimes your life is not falling apart. You're just tired and you're hungry, and that's okay. We're physical people as well. Here, prayer takes this form. Elijah, get away. Pause. Yield. I think our problem is a little bit of an evolution of this. We live in a culture of connection and disconnection. And I really do think the greatest obstacle for us as modern spiritual people is the fact that we live very disconnected lives. Often disconnected from God's voice in our life, disconnected from each other in reality. But I think most significantly, it begins where we're disconnected from ourselves. I'm disconnected from who I am, who God has said that I am, his will and his plan in my life. We have so much noise, so much input, and we have no way to organize it all into a significant plan and purpose for our lives. 
It's just coming in and it's just coming in. And if we don't take time to pause and yield, if we don't take time to pray and listen, we can't take all of these sources of information and allow them to speak something significant. They're just chaos. In a sense, we are eating and not digesting. We are connected and not present. We're just eating and eating and eating, but I'm not metabolizing it into something significant. I'm connected to all these sources, but I'm not present in what God is doing and speaking into our lives. Like Elijah, we may be doing a lot. You may be doing a lot. You may be doing a lot of really good things in your life right now. But you may be doing so many good things that you're not taking the time to understand the good God has made in you, for you, and who you are. And we can live a life of incredible productivity, but with emptiness inside of us. We are doing, consuming, producing, and often not examining. I can read a ton of books listen to a lot of podcasts, watch really good documentaries. There's an awesome one about a volcano that went off in New Zealand on Netflix. It's fantastic, but also a little sad. We can be consuming all of this information and not activating it into our lives. Prayer activates all of the senses of what comes into our lives. It's God organizing it into meaning and significance. I'm a reader, I always have been, but during the pandemic in 2020, I became a voracious reader. There was nothing else to do. And so I read like 53 books or something that year, and I was just reading and listening to audiobooks and podcasts. I listened to hundreds of podcasts and sermons and all of these things that year, watching documentaries. And I distinctly remember one moment where my wife and I, Caitlin, were also doing a lot of projects around the house, which we all did during 2020. And I think we were putting in a floating shelf in the kitchen and we were working together on it. And I, and I know how bad it sounds even as I say it. We're working on it together and I have in my ear an AirPod and I'm listening to an audible, an audio book while we're doing this project together. And at one point, Kate snapped and she said, can you stop wasting time listening to your books and actually be present with me in the moment? And I said, oh, my books. <laughs> Don't say that. I'm learning so much. But she was right. If we are not taking the time to be present, all the information in the world is meaningless. Present with those we love and care about. Present with the God who has made us, who can affirm us and point us to our purpose in life and take the information and organize it into significance. Without the act of prayer, prayer being defined as pausing and yielding, we are disconnected. Statistics say 70% of young adults, I don't know if I am anymore, reach for their phone when nothing is happening. I certainly do that. If a commercial is too long when I'm watching a football game, I reach for my phone. If I'm standing in line at the grocery store, I reach for my phone. If someone is talking to me and it's maybe a little bit boring and I know that this is not great, but we all do this, I start to reach for my phone. We don't even experience boredom anymore. But it is in boredom, it is in the quiet, it is in the disconnect that our soul begins to move and speak and sort it is in that moment the Spirit of God speaks to us in a still, small voice. The truth is, when I am tired, emotionally fragile, angry, 
We reach for noise and distraction in order to bury it. And we are robbing ourselves of the opportunity to heal from it. I use content and information to numb myself to the pain I'm experiencing. But by burying it, I never deal with it. And we are living lives without dealing with the hurt and brokenness of who we are. And we may be forgiven of our sins by coming and asking Christ to work in us, but we are not being healed in our lives until we quiet and invite the Holy Spirit to dig up the pain we are living in. We live a life of so much data and consumption that we are not even aware of what we are anxious about anymore. And I believe in therapy and talking to our doctors, and I know that sometimes talking about anxiety from the pulpit can also often trivialize it. I don't mean to do that. But there is a difference between fear and anxiety. Fear is the rational response to danger. I can point to it. A large dog is running at me. I am afraid. That is logical. I should be afraid of that dog who's about to tear me apart. That is fear. Anxiety is the irrational expression of fear that we cannot point to or understand. Maybe from trauma from months or years or decades ago that we can't even point to anymore. We just feel anxious. Or there's so much going on in our lives. I can't point to what it is is giving me this feeling, but I just feel it in my life. And what we're doing in that anxiety is refusing to process it. And we are living lives unexamined. And I can float through life and avoid pain, but I'm just floating through life. I'm not fully engaging. I'm not fully touching into the human experience. I'm not touching into the divine creation that God has put in it. I'm not touching into the beautiful story of Christ's good news of life, forgiveness, love, and redemption. I'm not touching into any of that unless I pause in my life and yield myself to God's voice. It is in these moments of pausing that we ask the significant questions that frankly are the reason we're afraid of it. Who am I? What does God want from me? Or for some of us, what if I move into that time and God doesn't show up? What does that mean? What do I do with that? And we live in a world where we have all of the things and none of the peace. I have all the stuff at my fingertips, but I have none of the peace that it's supposedly promising me. I got it all, but I don't feel like my life is complete. Here are four ways, these are my words, not scripture, indicators you're not praying enough. Simply put, number one, doom scrolling at night. Sitting on my phone, going through it, because I am scared of what's tomorrow. I'm not anxiously looking forward. I'm not looking for the joy of tomorrow when I arise. I'm delaying the inevitable because I don't expect it to be good. I'm afraid of it. We have forgotten that God's mercies are renewed every morning. We have forgotten that the best is always ahead of us when God's Holy Spirit is leading us. We have forgotten that our Father is a good Heavenly Father who gives good gifts, and Monday morning is gonna be even better than Sunday night. When we are constantly looking for a fight, some place to point our anger, someone to be mad at, that this is why the world is this way, this is why I feel this way, particularly if you are looking for fights on the internet, come on. 
I'm just going to leave it there. No idea what you're supposed to do next. The third, if you have no idea, I don't know. I don't know what's next. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know what career to go. I don't know where to be. Or the inability to let go of something. Something said to you or done to you. Something you've said or done and you just can't let go of it. All four of these, Scripture shows us and reveals, can be processed through prayer. Through making space for God's spirit to speak to us. To remind me that tomorrow is better than today. To speak into me forgiveness for others or forgiveness to myself that Christ has offered. To heal and have forgiveness rather than anger. To have peace and joy and to know why we are made and what tomorrow is about. In this yielding, prayer is the act of pausing from our chaotic world and yielding to God's will for our lives. Pausing from our chaotic world and yielding to God's will. All right, let's look at the solution. Where does God bring Elijah in this? We've seen Elijah at his lowest. Where does it go from here? Continuing the story in verses 8 through 13, let's get back to our friend Elijah. So Elijah got up, he ate and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're going to kill me too. Lord said to him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak, went out, and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is the powerful moment of prayer. This is the moment of pausing and yielding. It's the moment we're afraid of, but it's exactly the moment we need when we can quiet down the chaos of our life to sit in a moment where the Holy Spirit says to our heart, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing here? Why do you exist? What's your purpose and plan? Where are you going? We oftentimes don't want to move into that moment of prayer because we're afraid. I don't know. I don't know what God's going to reveal to me. Maybe I'll see that I'm not worthy of his love and I'm going to see all the regrets of things I haven't or have done. Or I'm not going to be able to answer him and tell him what tomorrow brings. There are two steps to this we see for Elijah. The first is pausing, pausing the body, the external noise. This is what we all need to do. This is what we fail to do in the modern world. For Elijah, he has far less noise than we do, and yet still God moves him into an area of pausing, pausing from the bustle of the city, 
pausing from the battles he was constantly in, pausing from the other prophets, their voices and accusations, pausing from the monarchy, its power being yielded against him, pausing from the wind, pausing from the earthquake, pausing from the fire. Pause from it, Elijah. Quiet it down. Get away so you can be alone with me. It took him 40 days to quiet down the external noise so that he could maybe, just maybe, in a mountain cave, hear the whispering voice of God. And I'll tell you bad news. The quieting of the external noise, not the hard part. That's the easy part. The second stage is quieting the internal noise Elijah has to work through. Yielding of the soul, yielding of our emotions and our thoughts, who we are. Once we get to that moment of quiet, it's now, can you quiet down your soul? Can we offer up to God our fear, our anger, self-pity, doubt of calling, doubt of God's faithfulness? Elijah has all of them, and he lays them down. And it may not look like the beautiful rose-colored version of what we like to think of these. He's angry and it's raw. He tells God to kill him. He's laying it out before him. God invites us to lay it all out before him. Lay your emotions out. Lay your feelings out. Lay your thoughts out. God can handle it. Bring it to him. I have had some of my most significant moments of prayer in dashboard confessional moments in my car just yelling at God. I don't know why I'm doing this. What does this mean? How are you arranging this? But that in yielding our emotions, our thoughts, our soul, we get to a moment of quiet where we've handed it all over and then God says, okay, now it's my time to speak. And let me remind you of who you are. Let me remind you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made that I made you on purpose, with intentionality, exactly the way you are meant to be. Let me speak to you that your life has value and significance and that I see your life as worthy of laying down my own life because you are that important, because you are that special to me, because I made you with that intentionality. And are you worried about your own sin or regrets or fears? Let me speak to you my own life in Christ Jesus that I came and I took on all of your fear and your anxiety. I took on all of your regrets and your sins and I died in your place and I did it gladly so that I could be restored back to you in this moment to tell you what your life is about. I have so many young adults ask me, uh, help me figure out what my next step is, what my calling is, what my life is. I don't always have the ability to do that um, and I can kind of give some tools for it. But I think what's more important is Scripture is very clear about our overall goal of our life. It says, well, I know what your goal is ultimately, is to go and be a person of generosity and grace. What decisions are going to bring that out in your life? What kind of job is going to bring that out in your life? What kind of relationship is going to bring that out in your life? Your goal is to live and preach the gospel of Christ Jesus. Is your life doing that? Are you in a place of peace to be able to do that? Your life has purpose and meaning. Are you living in that? And oftentimes, I just go back to what this whole series is about. Are you worried about your calling? What does your scripture life look like? Where is your reading of the Bible? What are you in right now? What's God speaking to you from that? Because if you don't know his story, it's really hard to know your story. 
And if you're not making space for him in prayer, you're not hearing him tell you. You can schedule a meeting with me in my office. I usually do them Thursdays and Fridays. But you can have a meeting every moment of every day with the voice of the living God speaking to you, his guidance and his direction. And it's in silence that whatever we have buried rises up. And it rises up so that God can deal with it, so that God can heal it, so that God can respond to it. And I'll tell you, in our culture, we may live a very chaotic, noisy life in our culture, but I can give you one clear sign. It's one word. You're going to think it's two words, but there's a hyphen in the middle. One word as to indicating that we are longing for this as an entire culture across the planet. That is noise-canceling. Noise-canceling headphones, noise-canceling speakers, noise-canceling systems. We are recognizing that there is too much noise, and we are asking our electronics to solve it for us. I am guilty of doing what probably many of us have done, of wearing my noise-canceling headphones on a plane when I'm not even playing anything in them, just because I don't want the noise of the plane and I don't want to talk to anybody. I've done this. Don't look at me like that. You have too. Caitlin and I were on a flight years ago, and the flight got delayed. It got delayed so bad, we were on the tarmac, that the staff on the flight were exceeding their hours for the day. So we had to taxi back to the airport and have them all get off, and they had to call and hire new staff to get back on the plane. And the entire time, Kate and I were stuck next to the most powerful airplane talker I have ever sat next to. He looked over my shoulder, saw an email on my phone, and knew that I was a pastor, and then said, I also love debating theology. Hey, why don't we talk about Reformed theology? And I even said to him at one point, I don't want to do that. I just want to sit on the plane and get to where we're supposed to be going. And I played that game where I had my headphones in, and I could see in my peripheral him trying to like find avenues to start conversation. We are recognizing there's just too much. There's too much going on. There's too many voices. There's too much input. We need to pause the chaotic pace of our body and yield to God's will for our soul. The example we find from Christ Jesus when we move into the New Testament is the example of as his life got busier, as his life got more chaotic, he made more time for prayer. He made more time for yielding and pausing. You see it. You can track it in the Gospels. The more popular Jesus becomes, the more is asked of him, the more he finds little moments to get away for quiet time in the morning or in the evening or after a particular long time of teaching or right before a significant showdown moment. He finds pauses into gardens, onto hills, onto boats alone in order to pause from the chaos and yield to the voice of his father. If your life is chaotic and busy right now, I'm gonna tell you, you need more time for pausing and yielding, not less. The more chaotic my life gets, the more I need God's presence. Jesus found his spiritual power in moments of silence and solitude. Jesus would reconnect with the presence of his Father in moments of silence and solitude. Jesus would be reminded of who he was in moments of silence and solitude. 
I grew up in churches with the verbiage of your quiet time. That was how I was taught about pausing and yielding or my prayer life. You needed a quiet time. And if you grew up in youth groups and churches in the early 2000s, quiet time was you pull out your Bible, you read maybe a chapter of scripture or a devotional somebody else had read. You read that and then you pray for about five or maybe 10 minutes or so. You pray specifically for needs of other people in your life. And then you close it and you go throughout your day. Probably the worst part of that that I learned is that I had a quiet time and then I had no time with Jesus throughout the rest of the day. I was like, God, I'm off from my normal life. But a quiet time, we don't even have that in our modern church circles. I talk to church members, I've talked to many of you that have literally said, I just can't find time for it. I just can't make patterns for it in my life. To me, I'm gonna be blunt with you, that is insane. I cannot make time in my life to speak with the one who made me, who breathed the breath of life into me, and who came to this earth and modeled what a kingdom life is before dying for my sins and resurrecting so I can have a promise of eternity. Sorry, pastor, I don't have time. It's not a burden to carry. It is an opportunity that you're missing out on. The opportunity of being reminded of who you are in moments of pausing and yielding. I'll give you a few practical steps. And at the end of service, on your way out, and for those of us attending the business meeting, you can go out into the lobby, mill about, and then come back and pretend like the space is transformed. But for all of us, we will have in the lobby prayer cards we're handing out. You can fit it right into a Bible or into a book, or you can put it around your house. We will also make a parallel of it on our website. But in it, it has our advice about praying, what it means to pause, yield, and respond to God's presence, how we also do this in community that we'll talk more about next week. But I want to give you very practical applications as we close out. How to pause the noise and yield to God's will for your life. Super practical, very basic. Number one, turn your phone off. You may be like, but my Bible reading is on my phone. Okay, silence it. Put it in airplane mode. Don't have any alerts. Don't have anything binging to you, pinging at you, ringing at you. Disconnect it and be present with God. Turn off your notifications. Drive or commute or take a walk where you don't have music, podcasts, or radio playing in your ears. Leave your headphones at home. I can feel it. I know the patterns of this world. I can feel it when I take walks in silence. I can feel my body protesting like I'm an addict, reaching for, where, where's, where's the phone? All right, it, headphones, what, is there a good podcast we could be listening to? I have to fight it and submit it. Set a timer for 10, 15, 30 minutes of silence and pick a set spot and time where you do it and make that spot clean. Clear it. Clear a space on the table. Pick a chair in the living rooms. Be, pick a quiet place in your home and say, this is where I will meet with God. This is where I will prioritize his presence and voice in my life. This is where every day I will pause and yield. I will pause my body and I will yield my soul so that God can speak into me the value of my life, his will for my life, and to remind me of the story of Christ Jesus and what he has done for me and in me and through me. And I want to close with this passage where Jesus embodies this. 
completely perfectly at the end of his life before he walks to the cross, before he walks to his own death and resurrection. He pauses and he yields. Chaotic night. Lots going on. He pauses and gets away into a garden and he yields his soul to the Father. Reads like this. Jesus walked away about a stone's throw from his disciples and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Luke 22, 41 through 43. This is the inner peace we're all longing for. This is the inner peace of being able to say, I may not want this. I may be afraid of this. I may have other thoughts or plans for my life, but I have peace of knowing the God that I serve and that if I am in his will, it will all be okay. It will be good if I submit to his will. Elijah walks into a moment where he is full of anxiety and fear. Keeps going back to that text as we are wont to do and rereading it and being afraid all over again. But in a moment of pausing and yielding, God speaks to him in the way he wants to speak to each and every one of us. What are you doing? Why are you here? Who are you? And as we quiet down our soul, we make space for God to tell us, to tell us who we are, to tell us his very good plan for us and to tell us the reason we exist in his good and perfect will. If you'll pray with me this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give an opportunity. If you're here this morning and you can't say that you're a follower of Jesus, you're not sure, I don't know, I want to give you a chance to pray a simple prayer as a first step into yielding into a relationship with Jesus. And I will promise you that decision is the best decision you could ever make. With the greatest person and God who would ever extend a hand to you. For all the rest of us, if you are a follower of Jesus, we'll use this as a moment to recommit our lives and our hearts. Pray with me. Jesus, in this moment, I respond to you. Jesus, I believe that you were God. You are God and you are man and you came to this earth. You lived a perfect, loving life. You showed us the way of the kingdom. Then you took my sin, my fear, my death onto your own shoulders. You died for my sin, that you were buried in the ground. You took my sin and you buried it along with you. And then on the third day, you resurrected full of life and you left death, you left sin in the ground and you resurrected to life so that I may have life in you, through you, for eternity and now to live in the fullness of life. Jesus, you gave your life for me. Today, in this moment, I commit my life to follow you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. If you'll stand with me, if you can, all over the room. We want to close in our traditional way.
giving you space to process what God may be speaking to you this morning, to respond in song and in prayer. But I also want to, in these two weeks, as we talk about prayer, as we talk about pausing and yielding, I want to give you the very real object lesson we have every Sunday when we gather, that this space up here that we call the altar space is a perfect place to demonstrate pausing and yielding. As we take a step out of our row, out of our chair, we are moving forward saying, I'm pausing from whatever I had planned at the end of service, whatever text I was going to respond to, whatever meals I was going to eat, I'm pausing and I'm coming forward to yield to God's voice in my life. And I want to challenge you this morning to take one moment of demonstration of saying, God, I pause and in this space, I yield my soul to your voice and invite God to speak to you. I promise you, I promise you, when we pause and when we yield, it may not happen today, it may not happen this week, it may not even happen this month, but when we regularly pause and yield, God's voice speaks back to us and speaks to us of his plan and his good and pleasing will for our lives. I'm gonna open up this space, invite you to join me as the worship team leads us in one final song. Lord, we pray over this space, we pray over this congregation, this community brought together by you, Jesus. We all are coming in with a lot of our own busyness. But God, we pause in this moment and we yield to your voice and plan in our life. May you speak to us as we are gathered in your name. Amen.